Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Here as we wrap up the week and wrap up the month of July. Always appreciate you being with us and appreciate the radio stations that you are listening to that are carrying AOA. And we have some exciting news coming soon about more joining us. Looking forward to that. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. The Treasurer, the United Soybean Board, will be joining us. They just had their July meeting. That's where they kind of set the course for the coming year and what they'll be uh, working on as far as investing soybean checkoff dollars. We'll talk with the uh, Treasurer of USB about that. Zippy Duvall, President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, will join us. He is recovering and sounds like doing pretty well in his recovery from uh, the coronavirus. We'll talk about dealing with that and what that's like, that experience, and also get his thoughts on the different bills that uh, Congress looking at, the House version, the Senate version, to COVID assistance for agriculture. We'll get his thoughts on that. And big corn purchase by China. Another one we're going to talk with Joe Camp with AgriVisor, get his thoughts on this most recent purchase by China and, and what it means, and look ahead a bit as well as we talk markets a little later in today's program. So lots going on. Happy to start things off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for joining us. And uh, still a big impasse between the House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats, over what to do for COVID assistance, right? We're going to wait. have to wait a while. Well, yes, but I'm optimistic today because uh, last night on the PBS NewsHour, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell indicated that he expects to negotiate with the Democrats on an increase in the uh, food stamp benefits. Uh, uh, he was asked, you know, why don't you have anything in that? Uh, and he said, well, when we get to the negotiations with the Democrats, I'm sure we'll discuss it. Uh, so I think that's a, I think that's a positive sign. I just wish they'd get going. Um, now these unemployment benefit, uh, this unemployment benefit boost is expiring today. Um, uh, now this, and the Senate's gone home for the weekend. Uh, but I'm hoping for progress next week. They still got some big differences: the amount, and uh, as you said, some specifics like uh, on. Uh, the food stamps and those nutrition type programs. There's also the matter of do you give the money for agriculture to USDA and let them decide where it goes, or should there be some more specific uh, strings attached and, and directions on how it goes? So they got some of those things to work out yet. Well, yes, I'm fascinated with the fact that the Renewable Fuels Association says that USDA officials are saying that they want uh, more direction from Capitol Hill. Now, I haven't heard that from USDA directly, and I haven't heard that from, uh, you know, anybody on the Hill. Uh, so uh, whether the Renewable Fuels Association is, is saying that just in hopes that it comes true or whether that's really the case, uh, we don't know. Uh, certainly, there are, uh, it's interesting there that would regard renewable fuels as a very conventional group. <clears throat> there are groups, of course, that want the Hill to tell USDA to provide more help to small farmers, to locally, local producers that sell to farmers markets and have had some problems. Um, so we'll just have to see. 
I love the word that Senator Hoven uses, the chairman of the Senate Ag Appropriations Committee. He says the question is whether the bill will be prescriptive or not. That's a very good phrase. Yeah, we heard that uh, from the pork producers as well, that they wanted a little more structure in uh, how the uh, the money will be used. Now, in my upcoming interview with Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, he says he's comfortable with uh, leaving it up to USDA to decide uh, how the money goes out. So, I mean, there are different opinions out there. Yes, I guess I would at this point point out that in my writing I always describe the Farm Bureau as Republican-leaning and the Farmers Union as Democratic-leaning. I don't think Farm Bureau wants to do anything that goes against the administration if they can possibly avoid it. Yep. And, of course, uh, Zippy Duvall and, and uh, Secretary Purdue are, are close friends, so they have that, that close relationship, so you know they're talking back and forth on, on those issues. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. But uh, the timeline, so they're not going to get back it, to it till next week. And then what's the August recess? Is that the August 7th? Well, in theory, they're supposed to leave Thursday the 6th. I mean, that's supposed to be their last day. And Senator, earlier, Senator Grassley said he thought that would be the day on which they would vote on it. Now, the, the House is supposed to leave today, but Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker, is keeping them in to do this, to do this deal because uh, they don't have anything to vote on yet. So uh, she's told, uh, and uh, Steny Hoyer, the House Majority Leader who controls the schedule, told people don't plan on anything else the week of August 3rd, except to be in Washington dealing with the coronavirus. So I'm still hoping that there might be a package by the end of next week. We'll just have I think to it, see. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the, the figure will be. I mean, you've got $3 trillion and you've got $1 trillion. Do you meet somewhere in the middle, you think? Maybe. Maybe not quite in the middle. Uh, but I think the Republicans will give up, will will be willing to put in quite a bit of money if they can get their liability uh, assurances in there that that companies would not be sued uh, uh, over over the conditions under which they are operating in the, amidst the coronavirus. That's what they re- that's the thing that they really want. So um, I think the easiest way to do that is to give more money to the Democrats for, the, for their priorities. And, of course, the president has been saying some things like the stimulus checks could be more than $1,200. Yeah, who knows? I mean, one of the biggest uh, oddities in this whole thing has been the inability of the Senate Republicans and the White House to come to agreement. That's really why it hasn't been able to move forward, is that there have been so many differences between the the, the Senate Republicans and, and the White House. They don't even have a package to present to the Democrats to start negotiating. Uh, now, there was yesterday, the administration offered to support uh, a continuation of the $600 unemployment benefit boost until the end of the year. The Democrats wanted it longer, but I think it just became a negotiating point. But there are people who are saying, well, at least they're talking. So that's where we're, that's where we're at. Yeah, that unemployment issue is a, is a sticky one because while there are many people that need the help, the other part of it is uh, the issue of people making more money not working than going back to work, and they're trying to deal with that. Right, and, and the theory is that some people are resisting going back to work uh, because they're making more money uh, staying on unemployment. 
Yeah, they've got a lot to work through, that's for sure, and we'll see if they can get it done by the end of next week. All right, uh, Jerry, thanks a lot. We'll talk with you again next week as we learn more. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. It's raining in Washington, and the temperature dropped below 80, so uh, we're in a good place here. All right, a lot of that going on across the country, actually, and it finally got out to Washington, D.C. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate it. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Coming up next, we'll talk with the treasurer of the United Soybean Board and take a look at their plan for the coming year. That's next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The United Soybean Board recently held their July meeting, and that's a key meeting for planning for the coming year. Joining us now from Missouri is Megan Kaiser, USB Treasurer. Megan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us on, Mike. How did the meeting go? Well, it was different than ever before. We had a 78 board member meeting virtually. And just like everything else this year, um, it was a new and unprecedented forum for us. But uh, it was successful, and we're really pleased with how it turned out. Yeah, it's a different world. We're getting used to those kind of things or trying to get used to them anyway. Um, So I mentioned this is a key meeting, the July meeting for the United Soybean Board. Kind of give us a review of uh, what was discussed and and decisions that were made because this is kind of you kind of lay out your plan for the coming year or years, actually, right? Yeah, we um, we had key discussions on not only uh, the fiscal year uh, 2021, coming up starting October 1st for us um, and and the funding of projects that we'll do, but also discussions on our strategic plan that we're forming for the next five years um, as we look to the future. So you make those decisions and you you get so many different proposals and, and opportunities to invest soybean checkoff dollars. I know you look at this very carefully, take this very seriously. Were decisions made about the projects you're going to be funding? Yes, and now I do want to say not all the decisions were made in one day on a virtual platform because that sounds messy and a little bit um, over <laughs> overburdensome, but our directors, all 78 board members, have had a key part in touching our budget that we set officially um, this past Wednesday, but we started back, well, actually our staff started in January um, collecting proposals and, and concepts from folks that have ideas of things that might be useful to farmers. Our staff helps us decide if those fit into our strategic plan that we're working on, um, that we're working under at the current time, and then um, ask those uh, those concepts to be turned into full proposals. In June, um, every member of the board met in subcommittee work, basically, um, in our supply, marketplace, and demand action teams, and um, started to really dig in on those proposals. And what came out of that, I think we had over 600 concepts, or maybe even more than that, at the beginning. And we whittled that down to 176 projects that farmers um, decided were worthy of farmer investment. And so um, we, it's been a, a pretty long process that we capped off here uh, just this week. It is an amazing process, as you said. 
when you have that many proposals come in, you have to go through all those, look at them closely, then make the decision that uh, your members feel will be the best return on investment for soybean farmers check off dollars. That's right. And it's, it's important because it's 78 farmers who are, you know, we're all busy. I often hear farmers say, Oh, I just don't have time for this. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're so busy. Um, but to see 78 members from across the country, take the time, um, you know, May and June are not, not easy times to spend your evenings digging into uh, proposals for funding uh, for any farmer in the country. But uh, our, our, our board did it and has done a phenomenal job of saying, hey, we're in different times now. Maybe we need to tweak this proposal um, to better fit the atmosphere that we're in. Maybe we, don't, we won't be traveling places as much, but we might need to put a little more emphasis on how we're going to continue our relationships and reaching out and develop a, new ideas um, in a new virtual world that we're living in. We're talking with Megan Kaiser from Missouri, the treasurer for the United Soybean Board. Megan, can you give us uh, some examples of some of the uh, projects that will be funded this year? Yeah, well, in the, um, boy, it's across the board. There's out of 176, it's hard to pick your favorites. But um, we're doing a lot of work in not only, you know, on the supply side, we're, we're working on not only um, what are the new things, new technologies that would be useful to improving um, our way of life on the farm, um, but also making sure that we as farmers get the communication back of, of what the, the soybean board is doing. And so um, to look at farmers is not only um, re pushing for demand to, to increase, but um, making sure that we have the tools necessary to connect farmers to the marketplace. Um, we look at making sure that uh, the story of our meal is differentiated um, from other soybean producers in the world uh, through our sustainable practices, through our quality, um, and making sure that farmers have the tools on the farm to ensure that those things are happening. So it's really about connecting the entire supply chain, supply loop, and ensuring that um, farmers are receiving a return on our investment. Um, our latest return on investment study was for every dollar we invest at the checkoff, we're getting $12.34 back. That's pretty phenomenal. Um, and that's something that I think farmers can be, be very proud of, proud of during um, really what is a very difficult time in agriculture. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind is when you make an investment, decide to make an investment in a project, it, you may not see that return on investment for a while. I mean, some of these take time. They do take time, and that's the beauty of the checkoff, is that this is farmers investing in what farmers care about and what farmers see as our future, and us being able to kind of take hold of our future. Um, you know, we all know <laughs> that um, weather uh, has a huge impact. Markets have a huge impact on what happens on our farms, and some of those things we can't really control, but the fact that we have farmers investing in our long-range um, profitability and, and new utilization opportunities for the future. You know, it's exciting when we start thinking about farmers being a big part of the sustainability story of other industries. When we talk about our successes in using soy oil for asphalt, um, for biodiesel, improving air quality so that it's easier for people to breathe. Um, it we wouldn't have had those things, including, you know, um, using soy oil in Goodyear tires. Um, those things came about because of the checkoff. And so 
um, when we talk about our sustainability story, we all focus on that on our farm, making sure that we're financially sustainable. Um, but then now that we're adding to the cultural sustainability story of our users is um, I find that really inspiring. And, you know, when we have tough days on the farm, it helps me remember that uh, we're helping others and it's, a, it's bigger than just, just us. What about your budget for the coming year? Uh, up, down, about the same? Well, we, um, we really wanted to hold a very strong investment. The checkoff has been um, a, a strong leader in, in holding those investments. So um, this year we're investing $70 million into our future. And I think that that says a lot from um, the, the checkoff to say we're holding strong on our investment line. Um, while we know that um, we, uh, we're probably going to have slightly lower collections this year, um, with markets being the way that they are. And um, we think that that's, it's important at this point to continue a strong investment because we, we can't do this individually on the farm. And it's more important than ever that we diversify our demand strategy, that we diversify our end users, and that we build real opportunities that, that lead to farmer profita- profitability. All right, Megan. Uh, I have to ask you, how do, th- how do crops look uh, in northeast Missouri? Well, <laughs> we've gotten a lot of rain um, on our farm uh, in Carroll County, Missouri. We're along the Missouri River, so this year is much better than last year. Um, our entire farm was under the Missouri River last year, and so uh, we'll take this year over last. But, yeah, we, uh, we've had some drought stress, and then we got a whole lot of rain just this week. Um, so, you know, it, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, not not ideal, but better than last year, right? That's right. You know, the eternal optimism of, of the farm family. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you very much. Uh, glad to hear you had a good July meeting for the United Soybean Board and a lot of exciting things ahead as you invest those dollars into some valuable research to help improve profitability for soybean growers across the country. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Megan Kaiser from Missouri, United Soybean Board Treasurer. Again, they held their uh, July meeting, a virtual uh, meeting this time, but that's a big planning meeting to uh, decide how they're going to invest those checkoff dollars in the coming year. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk it over with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall. Zippy uh, is uh, battling the coronavirus, and uh, he's doing well, he says, in his recovery, but uh, it takes a while, and he's still trying to get back to full speed. He's not quite there yet, but he'll talk about uh, what that's like, how he thinks he got the virus, and uh, what are the symptoms and how he's dealing with it, plus his thoughts on some of the issues like an ag assistance package uh, that Congress is working on, the two different versions and the different approaches. We'll get his thoughts on all that coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Bureau 
Federation, Zippy Duvall, who, as many of you know, has been uh, battling the coronavirus. He joins us now, and we are so glad to be able to talk with him and get an update. Zippy, thanks for being with us. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm feeling a lot better. I had about 16 days of symptoms and and had just about every symptom that they said you could have. And uh, I guess the worst part of it, my temperature spiked three different times, but a lot of headaches, a lot of coughing, uh, but, you know, just a, a real bad flu symptoms. And, uh, and I've survived that and got my appetite back, and now I'm building my energy back uh, to a level where I can uh, be a little more productive than I was the last three weeks. Were you feeling bad? Uh, is that why you got tested, or had you been getting tested anyway? How did you find out? My whole family got together, and, and, and I hope everybody kind of listens to this because you always feel protected around your family. But my family all got together on 4th of July. My oldest son, uh, uh, after he'd been here for two days, discovered one of his uh, uh, people that he works with had, had been uh, diagnosed as having the virus. The next day he started coming down with symptoms, was tested positive. The very next day I came down with symptoms and tested positive. So three days after I was exposed to him, uh, it, I, I came down with it. So you never know where it's going to come from. It, you know, the president describes it as the, the invisible enemy, and it, that, that's exactly right because I, I had no idea. My son had no idea he had been exposed. What was the first symptom that you noticed? Well, the first thing I started feeling was I had sore throat, and uh, my temperature started going up, uh, and then all the others followed behind. But the temperature and sore throat was the first thing I experienced. Mm-hmm. So, what's it been like? Uh, you know, kind of quarantined. How's that gone? That probably that's probably been hard for you, hasn't it? Well, you know, as, as most people across America and agriculture know, I lost my wife back in January, so mm-hmm. it was already a different type of uh, style of living, but. Then when you quarantine yourself in your house and uh, with nobody can come in here to you, and all my neighbors, I put a t- table on the front porch and all my neighbors was bringing food by and and uh, they they took care of me at a distance. But uh, uh, it it's it's been uh, pretty strange being by by myself for almost three weeks. But yeah. uh, you know I'm through it now and I'm I'm going back out to the grocery store now. I've been tested negative and and all I need to do is build my strength back. But Everybody needs to take it serious because it, it is not it, it is not an easy thing to go through, and I know it treats everybody differently. My grandchildren basically had it 24 hours, and they were over it. Uh, but but you never know which one of one of us is going to have some a bad reaction. Thank God I didn't have to go to the hospital. If Bonnie had been here, she probably would have had me in the hospital, but I, I didn't go, and I got through it. And my prayers go out to all my friends that have suffered through it and had a worse experience than I did. We're talking with Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, recovering from uh, COVID-19. So where would you say you're at? You feel 85%, 90%? How do you feel? I think I'm about 70. I just don't have any energy. I get up feeling good, and then about mid-morning, it starts tapering off and tapers off pretty fast. But uh, but I, I think I'm about 70% there. I, I think in another week or so, I'll be... Uh, I'll be just right now. I never did quit working, of course, working from home. You work on your computer, uh, and it helped me keep my mind off of it. I struggled through some meetings, but uh, but we were I was able to keep working and stay on top of the issues because our farmers have got so many issues facing them out there. I needed to make sure I stayed focused on that so we could help them get through it. 
Of course, one of those issues is certainly COVID-related. That's the two different assistance packages in Congress right now that they're debating and trying to find a compromise. What are your thoughts on the two different uh, bills, the uh, $3 trillion bill in the House and the $1 trillion bill the Senate just recently passed? Well, both of them uh, uh, actually look favorable to agriculture in different ways. And in the Senate package that came through, we were real uh, uh, we're real proud to see that $20 billion added to the Secretary's ability to help agriculture with this difficult time. You know, our biggest push was to raise the CCC purchasing powers up to $68 billion. It hadn't been raised since 1987. It was raised to $30 billion. And we think with the uh, the uh, way the economy has went, that same level should be at $68 billion. You know, we didn't accomplish that, but we, in a roundabout way, we did because with all the different packages between uh, CFAP, uh, CARES, uh, and now the Hills and, and, and the, and the other, uh, other one from the House, but if you put, if all that becomes reality, uh, they will be at about $50 billion dollars. And then they'll re, uh, replenish the CCC this fall with another $30 billion, which would be 80 So uh, I think we can claim victory on making sure there's enough money there, and then we'll be working hard on the next continuing re- resolution to make sure that we try to get that $30 billion raised to a reasonable level of $68 billion. Uh, But, you there know, one of the big wins in the Senate side, though, that we're real proud of, and, and the Farm Bureau and National Chicken Council – and our southern uh, our, our poultry states worked real hard together to try to get something for contract poultry growers, and we were su- have been successful so far in getting that in the in the Hills Act. So we're we're real proud of that, and we're hoping we can make that stick. There have been uh, several in agriculture. Uh, expressed concerns about the Senate version of basically giving that $20 billion to USDA and letting them decide how it goes out. And some have said we they, they'd like to see more specific language about where it's going to go and how much. Uh, have you talked with Secretary Purdue at all about that? Would he like to see more guidance? I, I, I think under the current situation under COVID and our farmers are in such dire need of getting that money out on the farm and our rural co- co- economies needing that money floating around out there. I think to think that we're going to put strings attached to it and then we go through a big debate, it'd be almost like debating another farm bill as to how they could or couldn't use it. So uh, I think on a certain uh, current situation, that money needs to go to the secretary. No, Nobody knows better than the secretary of agriculture where that money is really needed and he can do it and do it swiftly. And that, that's what our farmers need. Would you then encourage him to make sure ethanol is included in this one because it was not in CFAP? You know, ethanol and, and the infrastructure around ethanol, the infrastructure around cotton with cotton gins and, and cotton and uh, textile mills, all that infrastructure is very valuable to rural America. And, uh, and, and those, those areas have suffered because of COVID. And I think that in this package, in this situation, uh, that there there should be some help there for for our uh, ethanol and 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 those t- the infrastructures I just mentioned. Uh, we those are great markets for our farmers. A lot of our farmers are invested in in ethanol production. A lot of our farmers depend on DDGs coming out of there to feed their animals. Uh, so uh, in this situation, I think that is it is uh it is, it is, a, is a, there's a need there for to 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 provide some help. 
Zippy, how concerned are you about the uh, relationship between the U.S. and China? The latest, the U.S. requesting uh, the WTO hit China with some countermeasures, up to $1.3 billion, stemming back to the uh, 2019 ruling on uh, Chinese subsidies. And that's for, you know, going back for wheat and, and rice farmers back then. And uh, that panel back in 2019 ruled that China was unfairly calculating its support prices for wheat and rice farmers. And now the U.S. saying that China is not living up uh, to uh, that ruling uh, by the WTO. This kind of adds to what's going on and a lot of questions about the phase one trade deal, and whether China will stay in it and whether the U.S. will stay in it. What are your thoughts? Well, we all know that the future of agriculture uh, is brighter with a good good trade relationships across the, the world, and we need to continue to tear down those barriers. And those are barriers you're talking about. They agreed to do the correct reporting. They haven't done it. Everybody wants to use WTO across the world, and uh, if if that vehicle allows us to bring some attention to some wrongdoings, we should do that. But the future of agriculture, you know, we only have 300 plus million people here in the United States. Uh, we can sell all our products there, and 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 have a lot left over so we have to be part of that global market and we got to have a level playing field to be able to compete with this administration has renegotiated korea renegotiated uh, japan uh is working on the uk and the eu uh renegotiated usmca uh and the uh phase one of the china agreement and we see these huge purchases i think this morning was a purchase of corn. It was the third largest purchase ever purchased uh, from from America, from China. And so those those things are a very bright thing in the future of agriculture. Of course, we're very concerned about the rhetoric between our two countries. Uh, but this president has uh, seemed to be able to keep things on track in a positive way for trading when he couldn't. And we had a trade war. He was there standing behind our farmers with the trade mitigation package. So we just got to trust him and uh, and try to uh, try to uh, uh, pay attention to what's going on. And hopefully we can get through this and find uh, make that level playing field last for a long time so that we can make our prices be more stable in the future. That's Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Again, we wish him uh, the very best in his continuing recovery from the coronavirus. Well, up next, we'll talk about this big corn purchase by China. We'll talk with Joe Camp, manager with AgriVisor, as China has made another record-breaking U.S. corn purchase, the sale of 1.937 million metric tons to China. We'll get uh, some thoughts on that, some analysis, and look at the market reaction next on AOA. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So China's made a big purchase of U.S. corn. Let's talk about it with Joe Camp, manager with AgriVisor. Joe, thanks for joining us. Uh, Just as we get really concerned about the rhetoric flying back and forth between the U.S. and China and wonder about this uh, trade deal, well, here comes another big purchase. Uh, what are your thoughts? How do the markets look at it? Good morning, Mike. We're talking about record 
purchases from the Chinese. And on the corn side, we're talking about very good demand as of late on soybeans, even some wheat purchases bouncing around and potential for more to come. But yet the market seemingly also shrugging it off and not uh, gaining much in the way of upside uh, momentum because of the recent strength in export demand. I think that's just because of the longer-term worry of whether or not we see a buyer like China follow through. Yeah, so I think most of us thought if we'd have seen this, these kind of purchases, we'd have seen a stronger market reaction. But uh, I guess until we get further into the year and see how close they come to those phase one commitments, uh, the market's not going to be impressed yet? I think that's part of it. The uh, idea that the phase one trade deal is still very much vulnerable, uh, political headaches abound. We're still approaching an election that could very much have a sway in the U.S.-China trade relations. We're talking about uncertainty as of whether or not they're going to follow through on the sales commitments to take delivery. Now, the idea is that likely they very much will because the Chinese are buying based off a of fundamental of natural, real need, consumptive demand for soy protein and feed grains there, and less so maybe because of uh, efforts to try to fill the phase one trade deal commitment. So that's a positive that we do see strong actual demand coming out of China. It's just about whether or not the relations can uh, continue to scale back from what we've seen recently, which is a re-escalation. So, yeah, record sales, though, as of late that we should be positive about if we do down the road, as we'd expect, get really busy starting to ship them out of the country. So we, we assume they're buying out of need. What does this tell us about the, their corn stocks? We can see that they're buying out of need based off a couple of reasons. One is the activity in the domestic market. We're talking about record corn prices in China because we've got recovering animal herds. We've got the African swine fever storyline and a growing hog herd recovery there happening, it seems, maybe faster than anticipated. We've also got a recovery, for the most part, economically speaking, being underway staging for the Chinese after the COVID shutdown. So it is an economy that is reaccelerating, and that is supportive of commodity demand. Again, you also have along the same uh, lines some uh, focus on the phase one trade deal, and that's a good thing for the Chinese government to support. It's private buyers going out into the market, and one, seeing that domestic corn prices as high as they are, uh, can be replaced for cheaper offers out of the U.S. We, see, we have a dollar that's falling recently to help out trade terms for our U.S. shippers, and we've also got, again, that uh, domestic market interplay where we see rising prices in China and elsewhere indicate that they're able to replace their uh, corn on hand with new supplies out of the U.S. That, uh, too, is uh, something we're talking a lot about as it relates to the recent Chinese auctions of corn, which have shown phenomenal demand, 100% uh, demand out of those auctions and moving through corn of uh, yesteryear too, 2014 and 2015 stocks being eaten up, shipped maybe to other parts of Asia too, and again replaced with U.S. stocks buying more corn the Chinese are than, than we'd anticipated for this point of the year. They're still not buying ethanol, and I guess at least part of that's a tariff issue. A tariff issue, yes. So I think in terms of the trade relations, there doesn't look to be any hope for real progress to come uh, soon, maybe not before the November election. 
but we see that down the road there's still that opportunity because while they've put the brakes on it, they haven't, the Chinese uh, policymakers have not uh, totally retracted their plans to implement a new ethanol plan in that country. And if they're going to meet some of the targets which were being bounced to pa uh, around in the past couple of years, we would suspect that they would very much have to lean on uh, ethanol imports, and the U.S. would be, of course, a good source of, uh, for that market. We're talking with Agrivisor Manager Joe Camp. I guess, Joe, as we look at market reaction, uh, even with a big purchase like this, they're still kind of offsetting that is the uh, prospect of uh, what looks to be a pretty good crop coming here in the U.S. Some trouble spots, but overall some uh, very good crops, it looks like. Yeah, you got it. We can be very optimistic about prospects for demand. Sure, about the uncertainties that we mentioned, trade relations, uh, maybe a rebound for the dollar, Anything can happen here uh, to maybe put at risk some of these really good showings out of the trade data. But at the end of the day, we can look here at home, too, and see all the domestic sources of demand, ethanol production having re recovered in a bigger way, soybean processing is still at uh, record levels here. So demand good, but it's that other side that you mentioned related to growing yield prospects that's weighing on the market. And that's because it's Almost August, it's the weather market. We're, we're watching the forecast, and as of late, better conditions for most across the belt. We know that's not the case for everybody, so we'll still wonder if any supply-side concern might show up in August. But for now, it's the bears that are focused on supply, yield, and weather that remain in control of the market. Real quick, if you've got old crop uh, corn that you haven't sold yet, what's your recommendation? We're waiting on a, a potentially slight opportunity to open in August before the seasonal pressure. So a small rebound from here, we'd be securing old crop sales and then moving focus towards the new. All right, Joe, thanks a lot. Interesting. And certainly when China steps into the market in a big way, it gets a lot of attention. But even if the markets haven't gone wild about it, it's still uh, it's, uh, more corn, hopefully, that uh, is headed that way. We'll wait and see when it's actually loaded and sent over there. Thanks a lot, Joe. Good to see you. Good to talk with you, rather, and hope to see you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Mike. Joe Camp, Manager, AgriVisor. All right, that wraps it up for today and for the week. Next week, of course, we'll be seeing what Congress does with the uh, assistance package and uh, keep an eye on the situation with China as well, plus much, much more. Have a great weekend, a safe weekend, and be sure to join us again on Monday right here on AOA.